0: Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We started the year 2020 and the vision for 2020 was this word, so, so. And what what we're thinking with that is that we want you to take God's word and we want you to apply it. We want you to apply it to the good soil of your heart. And so it will take root and it will bear fruit. When we do that, we do two things. Number one, we give glory to God. Our life is, is about giving glory to God. We exist to give glory to God. And number two, it identifies us as a follower of Jesus. So we've been looking at over the last number of months, this idea of so taking root, bearing fruit. And we're looking at today, and it, what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is that idea of goodness, goodness. It's a fruit of the fruit of the spirit. And it's goodness that God wants to produce. What is goodness? Well, in Galatians 5, goodness is a word that we've been kind of coming around. And it's an interesting word. And it's it's this word. Agathosune. Agathosune. Agathosune means this. And it's the the Greek word for goodness. And it means this. An active, aggressive approach to produce goodness. An active, aggressive approach to produce goodness. So what we've been saying is, even when an experience isn't perceived as good, when God does it, it's good. Even when there was times when, when Jesus was on this earth and, and he was hanging out with his disciples, and there was times that his disciples thought that when Jesus did something, they thought, man, that doesn't sound good. Or when, when they saw something or perceived something or experienced something, that they thought to themselves, man, that doesn't seem like it's good. But because Jesus did it, Because Jesus did it, it was good. And it was to produce good in in those that did experience it. And so maybe in your life, you've had some things that you've experienced and you maybe perceived them as not good, but maybe you look back and and you thought, wow, God really was in that. And what it did for me, it did produce goodness. So we've been looking at Jesus's approach, Jesus's active, aggressive approach to produce goodness in others. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, how many of you have ever seen things where in, you know, in in your life experience where you thought, man, they only had one job. They only had one job. Maybe it was something like this. You you had one job. You know, here's a big American flag and here's what it says underneath it. Made in China. (laughs) Made in China. You had one job. Or maybe you saw, you know, something along the lines of like this. And this is not my sink, even though it could be my sink. I, I probably would be something that I would do. Uh, but the, the, the faucet is, is backwards. You know, It's like you had one job to do, and the, and the faucet was backwards. Maybe you, you thought, saw something like this. Uh, maybe they need to go back to school. Maybe they need to go back to school. I don't know. But I maybe mean, they had one job to do and to get it right, and they didn't do it. You had one job to do. Maybe this one is, is maybe, uh you know, that you had one job to do. Somebody that was the paint, you know, guy of making the lines in the middle of the road. Uh, it looks like he got off track a little bit. It looks like he he had one job to do. And this is what happens. I wonder if sometimes I ask myself, man, am I doing my one job? Am I doing my one job as a Christian? I have we have one job to do. And am I doing that one job well a common question that the disciples would ask Jesus and they asked him on a, a different different occasions one of the common questions that they would ask Jesus is they would say things like hey Jesus you know you talk about heaven you know and you seem to be you know somebody that's from heaven and you know you you claim to be the son of god and so we're just wondering you know who who's going to be the greatest like who gets a who gets the best position next to you in the, in the kingdom of God? Who, who, who gets to be on your right and who gets to be on your left? And they would ask that question. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That was the question that they would ask. On another occasion, Jesus responds to them in this way in Matthew 20. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great men exercise authority over them. You and I understand that. All of us you know, have and live in in a in a world, in a culture, in a society uh, where we have uh, authority, where we have people over us. There's people that are in charge. There's people that are the bosses. There's people that we work for, and we understand that what makes them in our culture great, or what makes them important, or you know, what what gives them the authority is because of their position that they hold. And so Jesus is just addressing something that we already are aware of. We already know. But then Jesus says this. He says, it is not this way among you. Now, Jesus is looking at his disciples going, guys, listen. You, you're you aware of how culture works. You're aware how society works. You're aware how authority works. But among you, among my followers, those who say that they're followers of Jesus, he says, it's not this way among you. But look what he says. But whoever wishes, no, go back." But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Shall be your servant. Jesus said, you know how you can be great? By serving. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said it this in, in verse 28 in Matthew 20. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Oh, he could have. He left heaven, came to this earth. And he could have you know, claimed himself to be the king of kings, which he's, he was. The Lord of Lords, which he was. And he could have made those claims and forced people out of fear into serving him. And he could have done that. Absolutely, he could have done that. But instead, Jesus said, here's my mission statement. Here's my one job. Here's why I'm here today. And it's the same reason why you and I are here today. It's the same job that you and I have as a Jesus follower. Because it was Jesus' job. He said, I did not come to be served but to serve, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came. Jesus said, hey, you got one job. You want to be great, by the way? Here's how you're great. You got to serve. You got to serve. Here's how you're great. You serve. You love people. You you don't think about self. You think about others first. You don't think about self. You think about how I can serve. Listen, Christian, Christian, we've got one job, We've got one job in this life, and that's to serve others, to serve others. So that's our one job. That's our one job. Now, Jesus, they asked the same question, what does it look like to be great? So Jesus says this. He said it this way, back to Matthew 18. Jesus said, and he called a child to himself and set him or her before them. So he calls a child. This was a a, a male, obviously, and he set him before them. And then he says in verse 3, verse three, said this, and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted or unless you change your mindset, change your thinking, he means, and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said, listen, let me give you this illustration. So Jesus said, brings a child over, come on over here. So he brings in a child. He says, guys, guys, listen, listen, listen. You see this, this wonderful person here, she's she's amazing. She's incredible. He's like, I want to bring this child before you because I want to show you what it looks like to be a servant and the kind of mindset that she has that that God wants us to have. The same mindset. Things like, you know, I don't know, she is trusting. She trusts me. She trusts her mom that we're going to take care of her, that we're going to provide for her, that we're going to meet our needs. She doesn't worry about making sure that she you know, has overalls to wear, you know, and she doesn't worry about, you know, the making sure that she has food to eat, you know, and, and, and something, you know, to sleep in, and, and a, you know, she doesn't worry. She's she's trustworthy. She's She knows that I, as her father, am going to take care of her. You know, what else is true about children and true about Sarah is that they're transparent. You never wonder, we never wonder what Sarah's Feeling. We never wonder what you know what Sarah's mood is. We never wonder you know if she's happy. Or I wonder if she's sad or if she, I wonder if she's in a bad mood. I wonder if she woke up you know on the wrong side of the bed. You know we never wonder that. Why? Because as a child, you're just you're just transparent. You have nothing to hide. She has nothing to hide. She just is feels the way that she feels and thinks the way that she thinks and that's the way that God made her. And she's transparent. She's trustworthy. She's transparent. She's carefree. She doesn't worry about you know money in a bank account, or she doesn't worry about you know whether you know a car is going to work or not when you get up in the morning, or she doesn't worry about anything like you know a political climate around these days. You know, she doesn't worry about any of those things. She's pretty carefree. She just is just says, "I trust. I'm transparent. I'm carefree." She's persistent. Children, you know this. Parents, they're persistent. When they want something, they want something. They want it now. And if they don't get it, they're going to keep being persistent about it. Sarah has a birthday coming up in the next couple days. And man, is she being persistent about a few of the gifts that she wants to get. And, And she's been bugging us for years about getting a dog. She's pretty persistent about getting a dog. And that's just the way she is. But that's the way that God wants us to be. This is the mindset that God wants us to be. He wants us to be thinking that, you know we trust God. We trust Him. He's our Father. We we we're gonna we want to be transparent with God. You, God already knows how we feel. <clears throat> God already knows how we think. But He He wants us to be transparent about it. God wants us to be carefree. We just know that you know we we don't need to worry about anything as long as we put God where God belongs. And we want to be persistent. We're gonna be persistent with things. We're gonna pursue things. We're gonna be persistent in what we know is true, what we know is right, and what we know is is best. And we want to be. Persistent. She's imaginative. God wants us to be imaginative. One of the things. Can you grab it, Sarah? Yep. This is one of. Oh, wrong way. There you (laughs) go. This is Sarah's artwork. Boy, you can like. This is something that she made. I'm like, I think that's kind of cool. Let's show this one. She makes a lot of different ones. It can go this way. It can go that way. It can go this way. It can go that way. It can go any way that you want it to go. You know, I asked Sarah. I put Sarah on the spot. I said, "What's what do you do? you You name it and." and uh sarah's like no i didn't name it Mm -hmm. i was like well what would you call it what would you what would you name it and Mm -hmm. sarah's answer was what sarah i said toaster (laughs) toaster she said toaster toaster. so i don't know why she would say toaster but she called it's called toaster so now on it's gonna be toaster (laughs) so and and so she's imaginative she's creative she's she's she thinks about you know cool ways to mix colors and how to put them on a canvas this is The way that God wants us to be. This is the thinking, the mindset that God wants us to have. He says, I want you to be like a little child. I want you to be trusting. I want you to be transparent. I want you to be carefree. I want you to be imaginative. I want you to be persistent. And and I want you to be happy. Sarah, are you happy? Yes, very happy. Cool, cool. I'm glad we practiced that. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. So that's what God's saying to his disciples. He's like, you want to be great. You want to be great. You got to be converted. You got to change and become like, have like faith like a child. and, And have those characteristics. Have those things about a child that you know about your child that is also true about you when it comes to relating with your Heavenly Father. So Jesus goes on to say this He says, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, she's dependent upon us, she's unassuming with us. She's humble with us. She knows that she knows, my Sarah knows, that she needs me as her father. And so that humbles, that keeps her humble. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he or she is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He or she is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, what does he mean by these little ones? Okay, well, we know what it's supposed to look like when it comes to our faith. But what does he mean by when he when you think about the idea of little ones little ones i I defined it this way little ones it's somebody that's new or young or weaker not in a sense of strength but just in a sense of their their the the capacity of their faith they're they're weaker in in that sense that' just they're just new to the faith or they're young in the faith or they're still maybe they're not all that new and they're not necessarily young in the faith, but they're just still at a place where they're weaker. They're, they're still kind of babes in the faith. They're still, they still are taking milk where Paul says, maybe, maybe you should be starting to think about eating more solid foods. And this, is, this is what Jesus was referring to when he's talking about this. But look what Jesus says next when it comes to this group of people. Here's what he says. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, look what he says. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa, Jesus. Come on. Like, relax, man. Like, this is what Jesus is saying. He's going, listen, listen. If you cause these little ones, these little ones, these new, these young, these weaker believers... If you cause them to stumble, it would be better to have a heavy millstone, a heavy weight attached to you around your neck and dropped in the sea and drowned in the depths of the sea. And when you would hear this and when the disciples are hearing this, they would go, wow, Jesus, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. But for Jesus, everything that he said was for producing good. Even when it didn't sound good, even when you're kind of going, well, that's not good. Or you would say things like, well, for goodness sake, Jesus. Like, you would say that it's better that they have a heavy millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea than it would be to cause a little one to stumble? Jesus said, yeah, yeah. That's how serious it is for us not to cause little ones, weaker believers, those that are not as mature as we are in our faith, Those that are still taking from the milk of the word and not the meat of the word. Those that are maybe new believers, just brand new, young believers to the faith. Jesus said we need to be careful that we don't cause new, young, weaker believers of the faith to stumble. If we cause them to stumble, those of us that are mature, those of us us that have been Christians For a while, those of us that have been followers of Jesus for a while, if we cause them to stumble, it's better that we have a heavy millstone, a heavy weight around our neck, and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's how serious this is. Why did Jesus say that? Because he wants to produce goodness in us. He wants to produce goodness. So, Jesus gives some examples of areas that we sometimes are bad examples. Areas that we as Christians, especially those of us that are mature Christians, been a Christian for a number of years, we need to be better at. We need to have a be better at. So he's saying this. So look what he says in verse seven. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. He's like, woe to them that are serve as stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man or the person through whom the stumbling block comes. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. Don't be a stumbling block. So we're going to look at today one thing, one thing that we oftentimes can be stumbling blocks. So we're going to look at one thing today and then next Sunday in person at the church that we're going to look at Two other ways that we can become stumbling blocks. So ways ways we can be a stumbling block, a bad example to a new young or weaker believer. This is what Jesus would say. Jesus, said, Jesus gives three examples in Matthew 18 of how we sometimes, as mature Christians, followers of Jesus, we sometimes are stumbling blocks. We are bad examples to a young Christian, a new Christian, or a weak Christian. And and we continue them. They stay weak because we're weak when it comes to these areas. Here's what Jesus says about the area where we're weak and we are bad examples. Look what he says. What do you think? He asked them. In other words, you know, like I want you to be converted like a child. I want you to be thinking. I want you to have a change in thought process. He asks them, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is strayed?" He says this, verse 13. If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. Jesus is talking about areas. So how can we, instead of being a stumbling block, how can we be a stepping stone? So let's look at it in this way. Ways we can be a stepping stone, a good example to a new, young, or weaker believer. And Jesus gives the example of an area where you can either be a bad example or you can be a good example that you're going to produce bad things because of the neglect of this, or you're going to produce good because you cultivate this, because you make this a priority in your life. You make this a part of your mission. Because remember, we have one job, and that one job is to serve. Not to think about self, but to think about serving others. That's our one job. So in this area, Jesus is going, listen, As being a servant, because remember, Jesus said, I came here not to be served, but I came here to serve. And as a servant, this is a priority for me. And as a priority, Jesus said this. If there's a hundred sheep, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, the shepherd, a good shepherd, leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. And when they find it, they rejoice over the one. They rejoice over the one. So, What is that one thing today that we need to be a good example for, that we need to be a stepping stone for those who need to be better about following Jesus and not be a stumbling block, but instead a stepping stone? I think it's this. Reach the unchurched. Reaching the unchurched. This is what Jesus is essentially saying To those of us that are mature in our faith, not weak in our faith, not new to the faith, but to be a better example, a stepping stone and not a stumbling block when it comes to showing people what our job is in this world and our job is to serve others, to serve others. And the great way that we do that is by reaching other people. So we need to rethink evangelism. We need to rethink evangelism. We need to think about, how am I setting a positive example? Maybe it's specifically for your kids. How are you setting a positive example when it comes to evangelizing the world, when it comes to your own kids, your own kids who are new, young, weaker in the faith? How are we setting an example of reaching the unchurched people in this world? what we need to rethink evangelism. First thing I think when it comes to rethinking evangelism is that we need to be ruined. We need to be ruined. What do I mean by that? We need to be the way that Jesus was when he saw sheep without a shepherd, and that was he had compassion on them. That that meant that he was in his gut, he was ruined by the fact that they were doing their own thing, going their own way. The, the scripture says in Isaiah 53, that says that all of us are like sheep that have gone astray, each one to our own wicked ways. But it says that, but he laid upon him, he laid upon Jesus, the sin of us all. But we're all like sheep that have gone astray. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I want you, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to reaching the unchurch, I want you to be ruined. I want you to be ruined to the point where you see people. You see your family members. You see your coworkers. You see the people that you you do life with on a regular basis. And you're ruined by the fact that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And that ought to bother us. That ought to ruin us. That ought to get us on a daily basis to think, "How How can I help someone have a relationship with Jesus? Have what I have. The trust that I have in Jesus. The dependence I have in Jesus. The, the, the transparency that I can have in my faith in Jesus. The, the persistence that I can have with Jesus, like the persistent widow had. How can I be, just be joyful and happy in my life that I have in Jesus? How can I have that? Well, Because I, I want other people to have that. I want other people to have what I have. And that should ruin us. The other thing that we need to do when we think rethink evangelism is that we need to be Relatable. We need to be relatable. You know, when you go uh, on a missions field, if you've ever gone to a missions trip in a third world country, you know that you have to do some things, especially if you go more long-term than short-term. And, you, and, and we sort of are, we're limited when it comes to short-term, but when it comes to missionaries that go long-term, you can do some research on this yourself. But here's what you'll discover. When they go and they go to a, a specific people group, that they figure out how to be relatable. They figure out, Ways that they can communicate they have to learn their language, they have to learn how to communicate with them they have to not only be able to communicate with them and by learning their language but they have to figure out how to interpret scripture for them it's not so it 's not just their words it's the authority of God, and so they have to figure out ways how do we how do I help them interpret scripture so that they can understand the plan and the purposes that God has for them oftentimes Practically, they learn their style, their, their habits, their, their hobbies. They, you know, they participate in the things that's important to them in that, in that culture. Why? Because they want to be relatable. If anybody was relatable, it was Jesus. If anybody understood what it looks like to you know, be a part of and blend in with those that, that need help and encouragement, and, and for Jesus' sake, those that needed to be found... Jesus understood that. And he spent time with them and he was friends with them. He's, he ate with them. He went to their houses and got to know their families. He was relatable in that way. And I would encourage you to do that. You know, <clears throat> similar to the reason why we do things like trunk or treats. I know a lot of churches do those things, but the reason why churches do these things like trunk or treats is, is a way for us to be relatable, to be real people, you know, to, to put on a costume, to decorate our trunk. And to just show the community that, yeah, we're Jesus followers. And what makes us Jesus followers is that we're trustworthy, we're, we're transparent, we're carefree, we're persistent, we're happy. But we want to just be relatable, too. We want you to have what we have. And we want to just love you and, and, and it, wherever you're at, wherever you come from, whatever your background is. We just love you unconditionally. So we want to be relatable, in these ways. But you need to be and I need to be relatable when it comes to our everyday life. Participating in the community things, being active and in and building you know rapport and being relatable in our areas, in our in our world. Because that's what missionaries do. And that's what we ought to be doing, especially in a post-Christian culture. In a culture where there's probably more unchurched these days than there are church. And so we need to be relatable. Third thing is, where I'll spend the rest of our time, is that we need to be relational. Be relational. And so Jesus was very relational. And the way that Jesus was relational was, was simply this. And this is sort of our approach to evangelism at, you know, at Market Street Church. And, and I encourage you to take this approach for you personally. Is that Jesus did this. Jesus always invested time He invested time and resources and energy in those that needed a savior. And that's everybody, that's everybody. Jesus spent time with those who they knew they were far from God, everybody else knew they were far from God and Jesus spent time with them. As a matter of fact, those who thought they weren't far from God, the religious guys, they would question Jesus on the time. Why do you hang out with these guys? Why do you hang out with these sinners? Why are you friends with sinners? And Jesus would give an example that we all can understand. He would say, because it's, it's not the well that need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. It's those that know that they're not okay. But it's Jesus saying, I've got something better for you. I've got something great for you. I've got something good for you. That's what Jesus would, would tell. So Jesus spent time with them. He spent time with them relationally, relationally, and that's what we need to do. He invested, he invested, and then he invited them to come, he invited them to come and to follow him. I think that's a great approach for you and me. I think we invest in people relationally, and then we invite them to come and experience what we do as Christians, there's a certain way about us. Just like Jesus told his disciples, like, you know, in a culture, to be great is to have authority, but... Not this way. It's not this way among you. For you, for me, it's to be a servant. That's our one job. Our one job is to figure out, figure out who I can be relatable to, who can I be relational with. And I'm ruined by that because they, I know that they don't have a relationship with God and I'm, I'm willing to be like a good shepherd and leave the 99 and just go and find that one. Go and find that one that I can be relatable with, that I can be relational with, that I can invest in, and that I can invite. I can invite to be a part of what God is doing in your life and in my life, and what God wants to do in their life. That's what it looks like. You see, a living example, a living example is better than a long explanation. A living example is better than a long explanation. I've shared this story before, but a number of years ago, uh, my family. We went to the zoo, and we're in the, uh, you know, exhibit. I think it was a reptile exhibit, and we were in there, and there was. My kids noticed um, that there was a a rat, a dead rat, in the in the snake bin where this where they were holding the the snake, and snakes. And so, uh, <laughs> my kids are like, "Why is there a dead rat in with the snake?" And and I saw the snake started to slither towards that rat. And so instead of me going into a lengthy explanation about what was gonna happen, I just said, just watch and see what happens. And sure enough, within a minute, man, that snake opened up its mouth so big and my kids are watching this happen and I'm just letting them watch this happen and that thing, man, just swallowed that whole rat whole, man. It was like, and they were just like, oh, that's disgusting, you see. I just wanted them instead of me going let me let's go let's go let's go let me just let's walk you don't want to see this I wanted them to experience it why because a living example is better than a lengthy explanation this is what Jesus was all about Jesus was here to show us To be an example of who God is, how good God is for us, how loving God is for us, and how He came to serve us in that way so that He can be a living example instead of a lengthy explanation. You see, the writers of, that brought us the story of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus, Matthew was a writer, Mark, who got his information from Peter, who Luke, who was a doctor, who investigated all that Jesus did, and, and, and John, who was close with Jesus, and, and others that were converted to Christianity that were anti-Christian, like people like James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe that his brother was the Messiah, and Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, but had an, an experience and, and, and saw a living Jesus and, and it changed him forever. And he became known as one of the greatest followers of Jesus that we know. And so these men and women who brought us the story of Jesus, they lived with him. They saw him. They, they were, he was relatable to them. He was relational with them. And they experienced it. And they was, he was a living example and so it's instead of, you know, God going about another way, another approach of giving us a lengthy explanation of why we need a Savior, God sent His Son. God sent His Son not to be served, but to serve you and me and to give His life as a ransom for many. And that was a living example. A living example. And all the, that's always better. So for us we need to be a living example. We need to be a living example to those who are new, are young, are children, those who are maybe weaker in the faith, a new Christian. Listen, church, church, you and I need to be a living example of what it looks like to reach out to those just like Jesus did for you and for me, and just like somebody did for you. that somebody went out of the way to make sure that you knew how great it is, how amazing it is to be a follower of Jesus. We, Christian, I'm talking to you, Christian, we ought to be that kind of example. Not a bad example where we just think about and focus internally, but we are a good example and we think and we focus and our mission is external. It's external. We've got one job and that's to serve people. And the best way we can serve people is by reaching out to them, being relatable, But first, that should ruin us. It should ruin us being relatable, being relational, and living it out as the best example that we can be so that others can see how great it is to follow Jesus. See, our evangelism, our evangelism is not about explaining something. It's about experiencing someone. Our evangelism, it's it's not about explaining something. It's about experiencing someone. And you know this is true in life. I mean, there's some things in life I can't really explain, and neither can you, how they necessarily work. I don't, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of how a, you know an airplane can fly or you know how, how the internet or how we can even have communication right now. I don't really get how all that works, but I don't need to always understand it, and I don't always need somebody to explain it to me. I just know that it works because I've experienced it experienced it and that's what that's what people need to see not explaining why eh, it's some good to know it's a good to explain to somebody why you believe what you believe why you're a Jesus follower it's good to have those kind of you know apologetics in your life of of knowing why you believe what you believe and where why you put your faith in Jesus and not in something else but I think that the best approach is for them to Experience someone, and that experiencing someone is is Jesus. You see, there's a book that came out a number of years ago. Is a guy was saying how he doesn't understand how anybody's able to hit a ninety mile an hour fastball. He said the science of it doesn't make any sense. He says by the time that it's released from the pitcher and it gets to you. That it's too fast, it's too quick for our minds to catch up to the, the, and be able to swing and even make contact on a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. But here's what you know, and here's what I know. We've seen it done. We've seen it done. And maybe those of you, somebody that's watching out there has said, I did it myself. I hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. As a matter of fact, pitchers today, they're throwing over 100 miles an hour. And the science of that doesn't calculate. So it's not always about how to explain something. It sometimes just comes down to experiencing something. And even though you may not be able to explain why you believe what you believe, I think about the blind man, you know? I don't know, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. I don't know who he is, I don't don't really, but all, all I know is this blind man said, all I know is I was once blind, and now I can see. Why? Because he experienced a someone and he wasn't given an explanation of how it happened. He didn't care. All he knows is I experienced a someone. What people need and what people that are weaker, younger, or new in the faith, what they need is they need to see a better example and be a stepping stone and not a stumbling block for those who need to understand and need to mature and need to grow up in and need to be in a church in that makes a priority of reaching the unchurched people this is one thing that jesus said listen this is where i see that the potential of being a stumbling block when it comes to your faith and others seeing your faith and others seeing and recognizing your life as a jesus follower and if they don't see it in you they're not going to do it themselves. If it's a stumbling block for you, they're not, it's going to be a stumbling block for them. We need to be people that reach other people for Jesus. Um, Dr. Tom Rainer, uh, in his book, The Unchurched Next Door, said this, 82% of unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. He says 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. Wow, that's mind-blowing to me. That's discouraging, I, I, but man, I, what if we just decided, you know what, we're going to do the best we can. I know, I know, in a, in a pandemic, like, how does this work, you know? How do we, you know, know if we're even going to be gathering, you know, from from week to week? I, I I get that, but listen, boy, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, man, he would have died for this t- type of access technology. Being able to communicate with w- one city to another across the world through through these means of Facebook and, 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 and the internet. I mean, Paul would have died for this. But listen, you can even say, you know what? I'm gonna, I want to share this content. I want to I invite you to watch this because God has something good for you. God has something great in mind for you. I want to invite you to watch this. Maybe it's simply this is this, that. But I'll encourage you to say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna invite somebody. I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna keep being persistent too. Because that's the kind of faith that he wants me to have. I'm gonna trust God with the results. I'm gonna be transparent, say, hey, I don't have it all together either. I'm not perfect, I'm a work in progress, but man, Jesus is doing a work in my life. I want to be persistent, I'm gonna keep inviting you because I know that what I have in Jesus, I want you to have in Jesus. And that ruins you. That ruins you thinking about those who are far from God and you just want to do everything that you can to get them into the fold where God is. And so that's what, so what have we thought about that? Thinking about, you know what, let's up the percentage of people who invite unchurched people to church. Let's be a church that does that. So I want to leave with you just a couple things, couple things. How do we initiate or what's an indication for an invitation? Okay. I want to just give you some practical things as we wrap up I wanna just give you some practical things of what is an indication for you to invite somebody to experience and to see, and for you being a living example, a good example, especially those that are watching your faith and those that are young in their faith that are watching you that are maturing your faith so that you're not a stumbling block for them so that they do this. What's an indication of an invitation? I don't know. One of the things that we look for is no place to church. So if you're in conversation with somebody and they don't have a church, you should invite them to church. You should invite them online. You should invite them to come physical physically. You, you should invite them to a trunk or treat. Hey, we're having a trunk or treat, man. We we need you know we need your car. We need you could pass out candy. It's a lot of fun. We dress up. It's great. You know you could. They have no place to church. Invite them. Invite them to come to church. That's one indication. Another indication uh, is. Personal challenges. Maybe you're talking with somebody at work or maybe you're somebody in your family and they're going through some personal challenges. You can say things like, you know, I go through personal challenges in my life too and what helps me through my personal challenges is my faith in Jesus. My experience with a someone. And I don't have all the ability to explain something of how that works for me, but I know that I've experienced someone in my life that has helped me through some personal challenges. You have personal challenges. I know a place and I know a group of people that really want to serve you, to serve you. Wow, that's our one job, remember? To serve you and to bear your burdens if you're going through something. So these are indications. No place to church, personal challenges. And the third one is is this. You just know that you're in a providential conversation with somebody. You just sense, and that's, again, one of these things that are hard to explain, but when you know what, what you, you know you're in it when you experience it for yourself. And you're in this providential, this God-orchestrated conversation with somebody. This is an indication for an invitation to experience Jesus. To experience the body of Christ, the church. And Jesus is the head. We are the hands and we are the feet. And that's what God has called us to do and to be. Church, Let's be a stepping stone for this. Let's not be a stumbling block. Let's not cause one of these little ones who are young, new, or weaker in their faith to stumble because they see us who are more mature and have been a Christian of Jesus' follower for long and they're seeing us not living this out of going out and being ruined for people that are far from God. Not being relatable with people because We've learned this Christian language and these Christian approaches and all we do is hang out with our fellow Christians. And we're not relational. We're not relational. We, we stick with rules and rituals and routines when it comes to our faith instead of, instead of just being relational with people. Because that's what Jesus did. So I think it's time for us to rethink our evangelism and to be reminded, you've got one job. One job, and that's to serve other people. Jesus thought that this was so important. Jesus thought this was so critical that he made this statement. Look what he says. This is, this is crazy. Jesus said, this is, this is how important it is that you don't stumble and that you're not a, a bad example in helping others stumble, being a stumbling block. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and become cast into the eternal fire. Look what else he says. He goes this, says this in verse 9. If your eye causes you to stumble, or if you if you stumble, or if you are causing somebody else to stumble, you need to pluck it out. You need to pluck and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. No, no. Jesus is not literally saying, he's not literally saying, you need to cut off your hand, you need to cut off your foot, and you need to pluck out of your eye. No, 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 that's not what Jesus is saying. And, And those listeners knew this too. What Jesus is saying is simple. If there's anything that's causing you to continue to stumble, or causing those who are young, weak, new in their faith to stumble, if there's any obstacle in the way, if you are a stumbling block in that, you need to pluck it out or you need to cut it off. If there's any obstacle in your way of you specifically reaching the unchurched, if there's something in your schedule, something in your mindset, something when it comes to your you know, your compassion level for those that are different than you or not like you or look different than you or act different than you, then it's time for you to do a self-evaluation, a self-diagnosis. And for you to think about what are some areas that I need to have some self-denial. And I need to be willing to cut off or pluck out whatever it is that an, is an obstacle that's causing me to stumble and for me to not grow and mature in my faith. And causing a little one. Your kids, your grandkids, fellow church people that are new to the faith or returning back to the faith. Let's not be a stumbling block. Let's be a stepping stone. And whatever is in the way of that, whatever is in the way of that, Jesus said, pluck it out, man. Pluck it out. Because it's better, it's better to go through this life with just one eye than two and not for, for people not to be able to see how good God is and how good God's been to you. And we ought to be people that are living examples of that over a lengthy explanation. And we ought to be people that want our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, people that we do life with, To not to explain something but to experience someone. That's what God wants us to be. If there's anything in the way of that Jesus said you gotta cut it out. You gotta cut it out. So let's be an invest and an invite kind of Christian so that we can set an example for our little ones to see This is a priority for Jesus. It's what Jesus made as a priority. It was the first thing he said after he told his disciples, Guys, if you are a stumbling block to these little ones, it is better for you to have a heavy millstone around your neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Guys, don't be a stumbling block when it comes to reaching those who need to experience Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you reached out for us. You came. You came in your one job. And you didn't mess it up. You did it perfectly. You were the best example for all of us. To know what it means to serve. To serve To serve others. Not to put self first, it's so easy. We're, we're so bent to do that. We're so, we, we, it's easy for us to conform to self, but instead you call us to be transformed, to be renewed, to rethink, and to think about ways that we can serve. Because ultimately, that's what makes us great. And that's what more importantly makes you great. It's because we humble ourselves like a little child And we serve, we serve, we serve the least of these so they can experience the someone, you, Jesus, who we've experienced in our life. Thank you for this opportunity to share online those that are watching today. Encourage them. Those that are watching at some point this week, encourage them, bless them. Help us to not be a stumbling block, but instead to be a stepping stone. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you this week.